Seven rules for staying productive long-term. Easily the best habit I've ever started was to use a productivity system. The idea is simple. Organizing all the stuff you need to do and how you're going to do it prevents a lot of the internal struggle to get things done. Now, there's a ton of systems out there. Some of them are elaborate, like getting things done. Others are dead simple, like just using a prioritized daily to-do list. Some require software. Many of them you can do with just a pen and piece of paper. But being successful with a long-term system is hard. Here are just a few of the common problems you might encounter. You might have no idea which system to pick, or when you do pick something, you constantly second-guess yourself that you're, quote, doing it right. You might get a burst of enthusiasm each time you try it, or productive for about two weeks, and then you start to slack off and eventually abandon it. The system may never seem to fit right for your life, and yet you're convinced that the problem is that you just don't know how to work within it. Finally, the system you've chosen could feel like a slowly constricting prison you've made for yourself, choking off your will to do meaningful work and turning you into a robot. Now, these are problems that can be avoided, but it takes a little thinking about what the point of having a system is and what it can and cannot do for you. So why use a system at all? Ultimately, everybody has a system for productivity, and there really are only three kinds. First, there's the system of other people. In this, you simply respond to the pressures put on you by colleagues, clients, bosses, or family members. Big deadline tomorrow? Well, I guess you're working late on it then. Second, you have the system of feelings and moods. So are you feeling creative today? Well, you might get a lot of work done. Does that thing that seemed interesting before now seem dull? Well, I guess you're not working on it. At its best, this can be fun and spontaneous, but at its worst, it can be soul-crushing to see that you never make more than fleeting progress on anything with an ounce of frustration. Third, and most importantly, there is a system of your own design. In this case, you create guidelines for yourself that structure your efforts. Moods and outside pressures still matter, but they're no longer the only guiding factor about what to work on, how much, and how often. Building the habit of a productivity system is about self-consciously creating a buffer between you and the temporary emotions or external agents that you experience. You still need to respond to deadlines and listen to your emotions, but these are not the only things that you heed when planning your day. So if your system is going to be liberating rather than suffocating, however, you need to follow a few guidelines. Rule number one, your system needs to fit your work, not the other way around. So any system is designed using certain assumptions about what your work is like. And if those assumptions are wrong, the system may backfire. So take weekly daily goals, the system that I use most often. The idea here is that you have two lists, a weekly to-do list and a daily to-do list. And the latter is intended to be fixed. So you decide what to work on that day and hold it constant even if you finish early. Now this system works well when you have a bunch of concrete tasks you need to finish that you might procrastinate on, but if you just sat down and did them all in a burst of focus, you could probably get them done pretty easily. The goal here is to use the potential reward of a workday finished early to get things done in an effective manner. Now this system doesn't work as well if your tasks are more ambiguous or open-ended. It struggles more when your day is mostly meetings occurring at fixed times on your calendar. If your daily goals list just contains one task, work on X, it isn't even functioning as a productivity system at all. Therefore, before you get started with a system, it's important to ask what the assumptions are that underpin it. 
What does your work need to look like for this system to be effective? Rule number two, the system should counterbalance your worst tendencies. So the guiding philosophy behind getting things done is that without writing down what needs doing, we're likely to forget. And although the system aims at more than this, the key tendency is trying to counteract is simply forgetting what you need to do. Fixed schedule productivity counterbalances the tendency to constantly work overtime, having your office hours bleed into your home life. You're answering emails at midnight, but at the same time, you're exhausted in the evening and not as sharp when you need to be at work. Maintaining deep work hours suggests that the problem is mostly distraction, particularly from tasks that feel like work, but aren't the main source of your value. The most important task method works when you have a few hard tasks that you need to prioritize, and it assumes that you'll end up working on convenient, easy tasks rather than those that really matter. Quadrant systems that focus on important tasks over merely urgent ones are another tool for prioritizing. Breaking your day into Pomodoro chunks assumes that the problem is that the work feels too large to get started so you procrastinate. Small chunks with mandatory breaks focus your attention on the next mile marker and not the entire marathon. Now, these tendencies need not be mutually exclusive, so you could, for instance, combine deep work hours with Pomodoro chunks or the most important task method. What matters is that these systems are actually balancing the problems you're really facing. So a salesperson investing in deep work hours probably doesn't make much sense. Rule number three, the system needs a way of dealing with exceptions. Every system, no matter how complicated, will create situations where it no longer makes sense to follow the guidelines it sets. What's needed then is a way of handling exceptions to the rules without making so many ad hoc adjustments that the original system is rendered meaningless. And unfortunately, there's no way to create such a list of meta rules since if there were, they could simply be included in the original system. So let's, let's walk through an example. Let's say you're a writer. You have a bunch of tasks on your plate for the day, but all of a sudden you get a really good idea for an essay. Now you should probably start writing now or you'll lose your train of thought. Okay, what should you do? Well, the answer is that there's no correct answer to this situation. For some people, getting enough good ideas for writing may be the major problem for their work. For them, it makes sense to put on hold lower priority work to start writing as soon as inspiration calls. But for others, they may waste days chasing ideas rather than doing the boring stuff that needs doing. So in this sense, the correct answer is to develop self-awareness. Does this exception to the basic rules I've set for myself buffer against an unproductive tendency or does it support it? If the exception is made into a new rule, would it strengthen or defeat the system that I'm trying to create? Now this may sound finicky, but I'd argue that true success with systems involves making numerous such slight exceptions which become a part of the system themselves. So to use a system means not only to follow its basic guidelines, but to develop a skill of handling exceptions to the system that make it more useful not less. Rule number four, a good productivity system shouldn't feel productive. Okay, so this one requires some explanation. In short, the problem with aiming to feel productive rather than being productive is twofold. First, feelings are defined by relative contrast, not absolute measurement. You feel productive when you're getting more work done than normal. But if you're successful with a productivity habit, what's normal should shift. Relying on feeling productive then creates an inescapable treadmill, where if you're not constantly doing better than what feels normal, you feel like a failure. Second, feeling productive is often tied to a feeling of exertion. 
This leads to expending a lot of effort in the beginning with a new system, getting a lot done, and then being disappointed when you can't actually sustain that long term. So a good productivity system should, when working properly, feel like nothing at all. It should just be an invisible part of your routine. If it's conspicuous, it's probably not a habit yet, or it's creating friction with parts of your life in ways that it shouldn't. So if you don't feel more productive, how do you actually judge your productivity? Well, the obvious answer is that you should get more work done with the system than without it. But even this can be misleading because in the short term, it's always possible to just work really hard and burn yourself out. The better long-term answer for evaluating your system ought to be that when you look back at the last quarter, year, or decade with the system, you've been making a lot of meaningful accomplishments. If this is happening, then how the system feels on a weekly or daily level is totally irrelevant. Rule number five, if your work changes, your system should too. So for some, work will be consistent enough to not need major changes. You simply stick to the same system and you'll get the results you want. But for me, I've found that as what I am trying to do changes dramatically, I often need very different approaches to work on things effectively. So when I was in college, I relied on weekly daily goals. My work was mostly a set of fairly concrete and predictable tasks that needed to be finished to stay on top of things. When I did the MIT challenge, the tasks themselves were larger and more ambiguous, so my daily goals would have looked like work on class problems all day. Since that didn't work, setting fixed working hours made more sense here so I could focus when I needed to but still give myself time to relax. During the year without English, I had core tasks that I had set hours for, just as with the MIT challenge, but I also had dedicated habits for doing small tasks like flashcards or listening to podcasts outside of my normal working rhythms, and this helped me capture spare moments in the day. When I was writing my book, Ultra Learning, deep work hours were essential. I still had other work, so I kept a to-do list for those, but setting aside the entire morning for research and writing exclusively meant I could get a lot of work done. Putting this first also kept me from procrastinating by using my other work as an excuse to keep from doing the hard research and writing that I needed to do. When I had to promote my book, in contrast, my daily schedule looked like Swiss cheese with up to five podcasts spread throughout the day. A calendar-driven approach where I had scheduled my tasks made more sense here, otherwise it would have been hard to decide when were the best times to work on things that needed doing. Some features of my system rarely change, so I almost always have a calendar and daily to-do list, for instance. But adjusting to a new system when I have different types of projects has been more successful for me than stubbornly trying to fit every single thing that I do into the same identical system. Rule number six always measure against your baseline, not somebody else's. So if you're ever evaluating a productivity system, the right measurement to make is, am I getting more done than I was a week, a month, a year ago? If you're instead asking, how close am I to being perfectly productive, or worse, how close am I to being as productive as so-and-so, well, you're gonna have a bad time. The tyranny of ideal productivity is a major problem. I've worked with students in my courses who set up a project successfully and were making consistent progress towards it. And when I asked them how they're doing, however, they complained that they still didn't think they're being productive enough. But how much is enough? They're certainly being insufficiently productive for your current goals or environment. I mean, if I were falling behind in my classes or failing to reach deadlines at work, that might be a cause for reflection. But on the other hand, there's this perverse tendency to judge yourself against some idealized benchmark, comparing yourself against a theoretical possibility rather than your own actual past results. So if you get done more now than you were getting done before, the system is successful. That you are not able to work 16 hours without break cannot be viewed as a failure.
Rule number seven, a system cannot give your work meaning or motivation. A system can only shape and direct the motivations you already have. It cannot give you ones you don't already possess. Work that feels miserable to you doesn't magically become exciting with the right productivity system. At best, it becomes an endurable chore. Many failures of productivity are, at their root, deeper problems of meaning and mission in life. If you're spending your days at a job you hate, if you're studying a major you were coerced into rather than freely chose, if your dream job has become a nightmare, then no productivity system can fix this. Productivity systems work better the more natural enthusiasm you have. They work like a lens, magnifying and directing the diffuse energy you already possess. The people, therefore, that tend to have success with productivity systems already have a meaning and drive for their work. They have ambitions and recognize that getting things done efficiently is necessary for reaching them. Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott H. Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, and most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website, scotthyoung.com. Thank you.